The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. This was what Samuel said to Saul, speaking of David. But what exactly does it mean that David was a man after God's own heart? There are a variety of interpretations on this. And I think the most popular interpretation is that David possesses a heart just like God. But if that is true, why is it that David could commit murder and adultery? There's actually an alternative interpretation of this phrase, and I'm going to walk us through how that might just make better sense of the passage. Stay tuned. This is the Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and biblical languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Thanks for joining. Welcome back to another episode on the Bible Sojourner. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to say I enjoyed meeting many of you at G3. In fact, I think it was surprising to me how many people stopped me in the halls and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I listened to the podcast and I really appreciate what you're doing. So I'm, I'm just thrilled and very thankful for each of you who took time to say hello. That's encouraging to me. It encourages me that the Lord's using this to help people learn more about the Bible. Actually, the most unique and helpful comment I heard was somebody said, you know, it's good. We need a podcast that talks about weird stuff. And I wasn't sure exactly how to take that. It was obviously a compliment uh, in some way or another, but, uh, you know, weird stuff. I feel like we talk about normal stuff too, but weird stuff it is. Actually, that kind of brings us to today's episode because I actually haven't heard a lot of people talk about what it actually means that David was a man after God's own heart. And I actually wrote a blog article a while back. We're going to go into a lot more detail on this podcast episode. But I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago, and right away, it became one of the highest ranking articles on Google, just because people were searching for this phrase, a man after God's own heart, what does that mean? And a lot of people were coming to the blog because they were trying to discern that. And then they spent a lot of time on my article because I was trying to give them different evidences for why we might interpret this idea of David being a man after God's own heart in a unique way. And so when we think about this phrase, what does it mean that David is a man after God's own heart? There's really one primary way that this is interpreted. And if you just run a Google search, uh, I just did that right before the episode here, And I found the orbcfamily.org blog, which was one of the top Google websites. So I just searched for man after God's own heart. This was the article that was brought up. And basically, it's a very short article, but this is common in in the blog sphere, what's going on here. And basically, the article says what it means that David was a man after God's own heart is fourfold, essentially. One, David was faithful. You know, David obeyed God's commandments. He trusted the Lord in every part of his life. So David was faithful. Uh, Number two, David loved the Lord. So that's another aspect of being a man after God's own heart. And you can just see that even in many of the Psalms. David was repentant. And that's an important part of this as well, because David didn't just, David didn't just live his life uh, regardless of the consequences, but when he did sin, he repented. And that is obviously different from Saul's life. And then also David was honest and thankful. Even during his hardships and the trials in which he suffered, 
he was very thankful to the Lord. He proclaimed the Lord's goodness even in the midst of suffering. And so that's probably one of the most common ways of interpreting this idea of David being a man after God's own heart. I've heard it referenced even this year, probably half a dozen times in that way, where David is a special man, a man of special character because of his affiliation with God's heart. So in other words, God's heart and David's heart are united and linked in a special way. But there are some problems, like I said, in the intro to this episode, because, and and I remember the first time I came across this, I was in a Bible study and someone said, well, listen, how is it that David could be a man after God's own heart? I mean, didn't he commit adultery and murder somebody? How could that be the case? And then so many pastors just take that and say, well, maybe that's a good example of how even the most godly of us are tempted to sin and can sin. And so a lot of people take that and run with it. But it is a potential problem to, to be faced with that scenario. And I think we ought to spend time thinking about this. Maybe, maybe we're misunderstanding exactly what that phrase means. But to get around that potential problem, people, people say, well, David did struggle with sin, just like all of us do. But the one thing he didn't struggle with, biblically speaking, is he never engaged in direct idolatry. So you have a lot of the heroes of the faith kind of flirting with idolatry and and regarding idols as being prominent in their lives. But David is an exception to that because he never engages in idolatry. His heart is completely devoted to Yahweh in a special worship sense. Sure, he sins, but he, he's never detracted from Yahweh through idolatry. Well, that may be true, but there does seem to be there does seem to be a relationship between later kings and a soul devotion to Yahweh as well when you talk about the putting away of high places and destroying of the idolatrous cultic structure for Israel. Kings like Hezekiah or Josiah come to mind. They they are devoted to Yahweh and they destroy the high places and they reform worship practices so that Yahweh is the only one who's worshiped. And yet they're not they're they're not said to be men after God's own heart. And so this is a unique phrase that that's given to David and I don't think it has to do with idolatry. There there's nothing there's nothing in the text that would indicate that idolatry is the main focus or the the lack of idolatry is the main focus of of this. But then even on a moral side of things, you have other Old Testament characters and New Testament, but Old Testament just for the sake of analogous individuals who seem to have a better moral character than David. I mean, you think of Daniel. I mean, Daniel has has quite the lot given to him. He is brought into exile. He's given temptations and opportunities to sin, which you know are are very prominent. And yet, he is completely devoted to Lord so much so that he ends up giving up his life, or it seems like he's giving up his life uh, by being thrown into the lion's den, right? But He's not called a man after God's own heart. You also have Elijah and Elisha. You could you go down the list, and there are probably others who, at least it seems, they have more of a moral character or a moral quality to them than David does. Uh, remember, we're given a lot more information on David, but we are given some of his significant sins. And da- Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, it doesn't seem like we're we're given any of their moral failures. Yet they're never called a man after God's own heart. And so it does, it does give us 
pause, or at least it should, I think. Maybe maybe there's something to, to this phrase that we aren't quite seeing. And so I just want to bring this up as a as an exercise in exegesis, really, in, in working through a passage and how we might also consult other ancient Near Eastern sources. I think there are some parallels that would be helpful for us. And so I'll, I'll give the two possible interpretations for this text. And of course, we're dealing with 1 Samuel 13, 14. That's, that's the text in front of us. And the text says, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. Now, the context here is Saul has failed to wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifices at Gilgal. And so Samuel comes and says, you've been disobedient. The Lord would have established your kingdom. But instead, now what we're dealing with is that the Lord is going to depose your household, your kingdom, your dynasty. And now he's going to choose a man after his own heart. And so that's that's the context of that statement. And so grammatically, we, and I'm just going to get nerdy for just a second here, but it's actually important, is you have two options. That phrase, after his own heart, could be understood to be either adjectival or adverbial. You might say, oh, please, no, turn it off. No, it's important because adjectives modify nouns and adverbs modify verbs. And so that's a prepositional phrase, and the prepositional phrase will either function to modify the noun or it'll function to modify the verb. So if it modifies the noun, that's how most people take it. Uh, it, it would be the idea that the Lord has sought out a man who is according to God's heart. So the man himself is the one after God's own heart. In fact, the Holman Christian Bible, uh, the original Holman Christian Standard, and then the, the Net Bible, New English Translation, they actually just totally take the interpretive guesswork out of it. And they say the Lord has sought for himself a man who is loyal to him. So in other words, the man is what's being described as according to God's heart. So this man is one who is known as a God's heart kind of man. So it is a after God's heart kind of man is, is if it was an adjective or functioning like an adjective, it's modifying the word for man. Okay. So that's, that's possible grammatically. And the second possibility would be that it's functioning adverbally. So then it would be modifying the verb in that case. So instead of saying, this is a God's heart kind of man, it would be modifying the verb seeking or the Lord sought or has searched out for himself. So the Lord has sought according to his own heart, a man. So in other words, the, the prepositional phrase there is functioning like an adverb answering the question, how has God sought out or selected a man? Well, Lord has chosen a man according to his own heart. In other words, God, according to his own desires and his own, uh, his own heart, has sought for a man. So if you see the difference there, it's modifying the verb saying how that verb is being done, how the Lord is making the selection is in accordance with how he wants to make that selection. Okay, so both are grammatically possible. The first one, functioning adjectively, would be an emphasis on what kind of man is being selected. The second one would be in how that selection is being made. Okay, both are grammatically possible. But I think the second option, adverbial, so in other words, it's talking about the kind of selection God is making, that is most likely if you consider three areas of evidence. All right, so this is how we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it grammatically, looking at some of the Hebrew grammar. 
And then we're also going to look at ancient Near Eastern parallels in the Akkadian language. Don't worry, I won't quote Akkadian, but I'll just make reference to it. And then we'll also look at just the broader context of 1 Samuel, because you want all those spheres of evidence to be able to back up what you're saying. And at the end of that, what I hope to convince you of is that when God says he is going to choose a man or seek a man after his own heart, what it's saying is that God is picking somebody, picking a king in accordance with who, within accordance with how he wants to make that decision, not in accordance with what the people desire or anything like that. And so let's let's jump into some of this evidence. So Hebrew grammar wise, one of the and, and I'll put put a link to two articles that I'm dependent on for this. There's an article that was written in the Bulletin for Biblical Research in 2014 by Jason Derushi. And he did a great job just kind of laying out the grammatical options and giving some of these parallel texts. I think that that article is great. There's another article uh, written by George Athis in 2013 in the journal of the Evangelical Journal on the Study of Old Testament. And he does a great job laying out the Akkadian parallels with other ancient Near Eastern literature. So I'll put links to, or at least citations to those articles, and you can. If you want more information, you can search those out, but I'll summarize them for you in this episode so you can listen to it or watch it and, and have some benefit. So what one of the things that Darushi points out is that you have some, some very helpful biblical examples in Psalms and even later on in 2 Samuel where there are phrases that function adverbially that have you know, very important grammatical parallels. So One is Psalm 20, verse 4, or verse 5 if you're reading Hebrew. But there the English says, May he, that's God, grant you your heart's desire. Now that's a very Englishized version of the Hebrew text because the Hebrew just reads, May he give to you according to your heart. Okay, so may he give to you according to your heart. But what does that mean? Well, it means what the English says, May he grant you your heart's desire. But really it's saying, may he, may he give something to you, may he give to you, and then the modifying phrase, the preposition, according to your heart, is what's modifying the verb. So that's an easy example. Everyone agrees that according to your heart is, or after your heart, it's the same phrase in Hebrew. After your heart or according to your heart would be the same word and phrase in Hebrew. We just, whatever sounds better in English, we translate it that way. And so after your heart may he grant to you after your heart is is how psalm 20 verse 4 would would be stated and there unambiguously the prepositional phrase is modifying the verb there it's it's describing how that granting is to take place okay so very clear uh, language in parallel there no other option actually because there is no there is no object there so there, there is no other option other than that the prepositional phrase has to modify the verb there. Now, similarly, but perhaps even more powerfully, 2 Samuel 7.21 gives a parallel. And 2 Samuel 7.21 says, Because of your promise and according to your, to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness. Now, what's important about this verse is the, the two phrases, because of your promise and according to to your own heart are prepositional phrases or modifiers and the according to your own heart clearly modifies you have done or brought about all this greatness 
And in context, that is actually a reference to the Davidic covenant, to God's promise to David and bringing about the revelation that David is going to be established as a dynasty and God had brought him from being a shepherd boy to being a king. And so David is actually using this phrase saying, you have done according to your heart. Just like Samuel had said in 1 Samuel 13, he said, God is going to seek or to choose someone according to his heart. And so now David says, you have done according to your heart. Okay, so there is a possible uh, strong parallel here between the, Samuel's prophecy and, and what God is doing, and then Sam, David recognizes in his, in his prayer subsequent to the Davidic covenant that God has been doing that. So a couple things, obviously it's a adverbial prepositional phrase here. It's saying what kind of, Uh, what kind of action has been done? Well, it's the action that's been done according to or after your heart. And the, the your heart there is obviously God. So God's heart is being referenced and it's an action that's being taken place. Okay, so these two passages seem to give strong examples for understanding these kinds of phrases adverbially, right? Talking about how or what kind of action is being taken place. Now you might say, well, what about the alternative? Are there other examples of when these kinds of phrases would modify nouns? And there are, and Darushi gives those, and I think that those are helpful. Second Samuel 17.10 is an example of that. So this is his translation, uh, Darushi's. And he, even a valiant one, whose heart is like the heart of a lion. Now, I know not everyone reads Hebrew, but the, the phrase in which this, this takes place is actually a relative pronoun, uh, the one whose heart is like the heart of a lion. So the whose heart idea, that in Hebrew is asher, and that's called a relative pronoun. So oftentimes Hebrew will uh, create a statement like this, a comparison statement, uh, one whose heart is like the heart of a lion or one whose heart is like the heart of God, as we'll see in Ezekiel. In some cases, this uses a relative pronoun. Uh, for constructing that, but that's not the case in Second Samuel, or sorry, in First Samuel thirteen fourteen, when it says uh, Yahweh will choose a man according to his heart. Well, there's no relative phrase there, but in Second Samuel seventeen ten, that is when you have the heart of a of a valiant man and the heart of a lion being compared. That is what takes place. Well, similarly in Ezekiel twenty eight. You have two references to this cherub or this individual uh, in Ezekiel 28. It could be Satan uh, or it could be someone else, uh, Prince of Tyre. Uh, the one that is being identified here has set your heart like the heart of God. And what you see there in the phrase is the double repetition of heart. So you set your heart like the heart of God. And that phrase or something like it is, is found in verse 2 as well as verse 6 of Ezekiel 28. So very similar uh, constructs there in Ezekiel 28. But the repetition of heart uh, and, and the direct object is clearly identified and, and made that way. And so, again, not exact parallels, but very, very close and instructive, I think, when you think about how does, how does this typically work? Uh, how how would the Bible or characters in the Bible typically make a comparison between one heart and another heart? And again, it's worth noting that the heart 
isn't you know your seat of emotion as much as it is as it is how you think, what you do in life. And so uh, the the bold man isn't you know just feeling courageous. He makes he makes bold uh, decisions and he acts like a lion. Uh, it's it's not just he just feels that way, but he actually takes action like like a lion. And so when we look at these phrases, both the grammatical parallels uh, and the alternative of how nouns are often modified or how we see the phrases of two hearts being compared, et cetera, there, there are significant differences between 1 Samuel 13, 14 and the rest of these uh, examples of the noun being modified. So grammatically, I would say just from the outset, from the outset, it seems that the grammatical arguments would be inclined towards seeing a man after God's own heart as modifying the kind of choice God is making. Okay, so it's putting the emphasis of God's choice. It's it's the one after God's heart. He's choosing somebody after his heart or according to what he wants is a way to think about it. Well, let's see if there's some benefit in studying some of the ancient Near Eastern parallels. So again, this comes from George Athos, who wrote in the Journal of the Evangelical Study of the Old Testament, and he goes through a list of Akkadian parallels. Now, the thing with Akkadian, Akkadian is similar to Hebrew. They're, they're sister languages, or, or we call them a part of the same Semitic tree. So Semitic is a, is a language branch on the linguistic tree. And Semitic languages would include things like Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, Akkadian, Ugaritic, although Ugaritic is, is a little bit um, older. But all of these languages have a, have a parallel nature because they, they're all traced back to the same Semitic root. And so a lot of times, if you don't know what a word means in Hebrew, you can find that word in another cognate language, uh, meaning Akkadian or Ugaritic or whatever. And you can say, oh, well, it's used that way in this language, so it might be used that way in Hebrew. And that's very, very helpful. Well, similarly... You can see how in some of the Akkadian literature, these phrases actually show up, uh, making decisions according to or after a heart, okay? So the first example that Athos gives is called the Wiedner Chronicle, and it's dated to the 19th century BC. And it's basically about the king of Isin who's writing to Apel Sin, who's the king of Babylon at that time. So this is very, very ancient, you know, in the 19th century. And he's recounting the fate of previous kings and how they are they have a devotion to Marduk, who is the is the great god of the Babylonians. And so in the 20th line, there's a there's a statement here where the king depicts Marduk uh, approaching his father and saying the following. Okay, so this is the quote that Athos, Athos gives us uh, in the statement here. Let Babylon the city selected in the steadfastness of my heart be exalted in all lands. Okay, now notice the phrase there. This is the God speaking. So Marduk is saying, let Babylon, the city selected in the steadfastness of my heart. So heart being associated with the selection made by the God there. Okay, so that's one example. And then in the second example, this is a monolith inscription from Kirk. And this is related to Shalmaneser III. And Shalmaneser III says, When Asher the great Lord designated me in the steadfastness of his heart, 
with his holy eyes, and then it goes on. So again, another, another selection being made by Asher here and designated in the steadfastness of his heart. So again, the, the heart being associated with making a decision and yeah, very, very similar par- parallels there. Third example, uh, East India House Inscription. So this is from column five, lines 21 through 22. You have Nebuchadnezzar II describing himself in reference to Marduk. So again, Marduk being referenced here. And so Nebuchadnezzar II says, I am his eldest son, the chosen of his heart. So again, the heart being the seat of selection for the king. So basically the point in giving these examples, and I just have a couple more here, the point in giving these examples is that in the ancient Near Eastern literature here, the Akkadian literature, as we're looking through this, the selection of a king by a deity is often made reference to through parallelism of the heart making that selection, okay? Making the selection in the steadfastness of his heart or chosen of his heart. This seems to be pretty common. Fourth example in the Babylonian Chronicle, Tablet 5, lines 11 through 13, uh, we are told after, you know, in the initial lines, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem. So again, there's a parallel here with what the Bible talks about, but the Babylonian records also mention it. You have Nebuchadnezzar laying siege to Jerusalem, which they call the city of Judah. They capture it. They depose Jehoiachin, and this takes place in 598 or 597 BC, and then they they put their own king uh, in place, uh, Zedekiah. And in line 13, it says, he appointed therein a king of his own heart. Okay, so this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar appointed therein a king of his own heart. So very similar language there. Now, again, it's Akkadian, not Hebrew, but it, it uses the same themes and ideas. And so we need to, we need to recognize that this, is, this does seem to be a very, a very uh, common perception in the ancient Near East here. Uh, Last one we'll look at, and this one's kind of a lively example in and of itself. It's taken from a Babylonian liver omen text. So Babylonians were very, very much in line with uh, interpreting dreams and omens and all of those things. And so what the Babylonians did was in this text for interpreting these omens, they basically said, if you find a groove in the liver, which they called a presence, then this is what it means, okay? So in in this text, it says, if the presence is turned upside down, Enlil will install a king of his own heart. Okay, so again, if the presence is turned upside down, Enlil will install a king of his own heart. So again, another example from the ancient Near East here, this is a Babylonian liver omen. So if you want to find out how to interpret an omen through the investigation of a liver, this is the text you would turn to. And what we read, though, is that it's, it's telling what, what this means. And if you find this certain thing, you know that Enlil will install a king you know, after his own heart or according to his own heart. And so this is, this is I think, instructive. As we look, as we look at this, th- these aren't Hebrew texts. They don't, they don't necessarily fit exactly grammatically, right? But idea-wise, and with, with the grammar that we do have there, it does seem to parallel what we find in 1 Samuel 13, 14, right? The association of making a selection of a king 
after or according to the heart of a god. Okay, that's that's what we're going for here. And so when Yahweh is saying, I will choose a man according to my heart, or I, uh, Samuel's talking about Yahweh in the third person, he will choose, he will select, he will seek a man according to his heart. That seems to fit very nicely with this ancient Near Eastern parallel that we have. And so I think it's, it's instructive to examine those parallels. Now, I want to make one last push for this argument uh, through an appeal to the broader context of 1 Samuel. Because so far we've looked at the grammar, and I think grammar, you know, check mark, that it's the most likely that this prepositional phrase is functioning adverbally, modifying the verb, okay? Second of all, the ancient Near Eastern parallels in the Akkadian literature gives us insight into the, the heart of a god being predisposed or involved in the selection of a king. And then finally, looking at the immediate context of the book of Samuel, I think we can have some help in understanding, okay, what what's going on here, big picture? And everybody acknowledges that Samuel is basically, the book of Samuel is basically comparing Saul as a failure of a king and David as the true king that God has chosen and that also that has godly character. And so it's this is probably a false caricature to say that David doesn't have godly character because everywhere does assume that he does. In fact, in 1 Samuel 15, where Saul is rejected as being king, in 1 Samuel 13, his dynasty is rejected because of his failure to obey. And in 1 Samuel 15, Saul himself is rejected by God because of his failure to obey, wiping out the Amalekites. And so you have in 1 Samuel 15, 28, Samuel telling Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So obviously, David is better than Saul. There is no doubt about that. The text of Samuel, in fact, is regularly comparing the two. I always tell my students that Saul is a foil to David. Where Saul fails, David succeeds. Saul is trying to grasp the kingdom. He's trying to hang on to it. In fact, he tells Jonathan, you need to kill David, otherwise you'll, you have no hope of being king. And so Saul's trying to retain the kingship, keep the kingship. And yet David, on the other hand, has an opportunity to grasp the kingdom, and he doesn't. Instead, David actually uh, allows Saul to live. He doesn't kill, put Saul to death twice that he has the opportunity to do so. And he doesn't want to stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed. And so David is showing himself to be a man of, in, of amazing godly character. And that is true. But that is kind of unrelated to 1 Samuel 13, 14, because what I would argue is going on there is that God is making a selection saying, I will choose the man that I want to choose. You've had the man you wanted to choose but I will now choose the man that I want to choose. Now, some of you might say, now, wait a second, wait a second. Are you saying that Saul is, is the people's choice, but God is the one who actually selected Saul? But the reality is, and, and that's true, God did select Saul, but he selected Saul in accordance with the heart of the people or in accordance with their desire. And you might say, well, how do we know that? Well, actually, you look at the text in 1 Samuel 12, 13, when Samuel 
is describing Saul. He says, now behold, the king whom you have chosen, talking to the people, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So obviously the Lord was involved in selecting Saul, but the Lord chose a king in accordance with the desire or in accordance with the heart of the people. And then after that was an epic failure, now the Lord chose a man in accordance with his desire. And this is an important principle to understand because the the Lord was not against a king for Israel. In fact, you can trace the need for a king all throughout the Old Testament. Even early on in Genesis, Genesis 17 talks about how kings are promised to Abraham. You have the uh, prophecies of a king in Numbers 24. Uh, You also have uh, the prophecy of a king in number or Genesis 49 saying that the scepter should not depart from Judah. All of these give us a indication that we should expect a king to come. And then Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 through 20 flat out give us the law of the king where the king, God says, when you get into the land of Israel, you, you select a king over yourself and this is what's going, he's going to do. So it's not as if having a king was wrong or having a king was inferior to in any way. Uh, having a desire for a king wasn't wrong, but it was in, in 1 Samuel, the thing that was wrong for the people was they desired a king like all the other nations. And that prepositional phrase modifying their desire there was what was wrong. They wanted a king to be like the other nations, to protect them, to, to help them, to give them success. And so God told Samuel, they have not rejected you, they've rejected me in desiring that. But that doesn't mean having a king was wrong. It was always God's plan to have a king. In fact, even Judges makes a point, I would say, where it says there was, uh, everyone did what was right in in their own eyes because there was no king. Well, that seems to be a prelude up to the fact that there needs to be a king. A king is what what we're needing. And so I, I don't think it's wrong that they wanted a king per se, it's how they wanted it. And they, the choice that they wanted for a king did not accord with God's heart. It accorded with their own heart. So I would say in 1 Samuel 12, 13, we're told that Saul was, was the king after Israel's heart. And then in 1 Samuel 13, 14, we're told that God is going to choose a king after his heart. And so I, I just want to offer one, one last uh, point of clarification here. And that clarification is that David was a righteous king. And the narrative of Samuel as well as Kings makes it clear that his character was very righteous, that he followed the Lord, that this was uh, something that he was known for. And even the fact that he repents from his sin when he's confronted over that, that indicates that there's a specialness to his character that, that is worthy of note. Okay, it is remarkable in every sense of the word. but. Is he, or should he say, should we say that David had a heart just like God's heart? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I think when that phrase is being used, uh, a man after God's own heart, a man after God's heart, it's talking about the selection. And of course, that selection is made in part because of David's character. So that, that, that doesn't diminish God, David's character per se, but I think we just need to be a little more specific and say that. The selection is being emphasized in 1 Samuel 13, that David is God's choice and Saul was Israel's choice.
So I think that that's how we ought to think about that. So I'll, I'll post the, the links to these articles in the description below. Hope this has been helpful for you. I always enjoy talking about these things and uh, the more controversial, the better, I suppose. But if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me through the contact form on my website. Uh, if you have any other questions or comments, love to hear from you. Uh, you can always check out more about me at my website, petergaming.com. You can find articles I've written there. You can also find out more about the seminary at shepherds.edu. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.